passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. I had two sermons prepared for today. One was a short one in case of rain. And based off of the weather, I will get progressively longer. So um, James tells us that uh, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours who prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain. You might want to start doing the opposite. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome uh, to our all-church gathering. It is, it is wonderful to be with you this morning. Uh, our text this morning is from the book of Jeremiah. And so as we, uh, as we gather together, I, I invite you to stand and hear these words um, from the book of, of Jeremiah. So hear this from Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, verses 5 through 8. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Amen. You may be seated. As Stephen mentioned, uh, if you are interested in following along this morning, you can find uh, sermon notes online uh, at the link that's found in your little booklet. Uh, I encourage you to follow along there. There's also going to be a couple uh, different pictures that will hope, uh, hopefully frame some of the discussion that we're going to have based off of these verses. Uh, but, but if you don't have a phone with you or, or it doesn't have internet, you're out of data or anything like that, uh, the beautiful thing is uh, if we could just look around, we can see how green these trees are. And that's, that's a great place for us to be as we consider this text this morning. Uh, one of the most powerful images in my mind as I think about the importance of water comes from last August uh, when I was in East Africa doing some, some pastoral training. My time there had come to a close and my team was beginning the long journey back to the United States and before we could fly back to Europe and then eventually to the U.S. we actually had to take a, a long, long, long drive uh, through through the Tanzanian countryside, uh, sometimes on rough dirt roads. Uh, but as we were driving, uh, saw some of the most incredible, beautiful landscape that I've ever seen. The landscape was gorgeous, the wildlife was stunning, and, and the experience, frankly, was, was unforgettable. But as we were driving through the countryside uh, on this eight-hour journey, often, uh, again, on, on these dirt roads that, that were extremely bumpy, one thing quickly became obvious to me. And the thing that became obvious was that this land that we were driving through that seemed so beautiful was in the midst of a drought. Conversations with locals brought to the realization that this drought was actually quite severe. It was something that had been going on for over a year. And when I think of this beautiful scenery, they, they actually helped me realize that, that this was a, a place that was on the brink of disaster. And sure enough, as I look around, as I begin to, to see the, the land with new eyes, I began to realize that the most common color that I saw was brown. Everything was close to death, struggling to survive from the lack of water. 
But as we continued on our drive, we came to this one spot that just was mind-numbingly green compared to the, the sea of yellowish brown around us. And so we slowed to a stop because we were wondering, why is this so green? And we discovered there, in the midst of the heat, in the midst of the drought, in the midst of the hardship that was surrounding it, that right here was an underground spring. And this small spring was bubbling up just a tiny bit of water, which created this very visual, stark contrast, this oasis in the midst of a water-deprived land. And that spot of green was a, was a beacon for not just grass to flourish, but for animals. There were countless insects, birds, small animals to this location, essentially beckoning them to this location, saying, you will find what you need right here. And as I reflect back on that, and as I think of this passage, I, I think of that picture that, that is just still ingrained in my mind. It's a reminder to me of the, the importance of water for life. And I, and I think of that image as we read Jeremiah chapter 17. For here, Jeremiah, this prophet, is, is using this powerful imagery to show that there are two different types of responses that we can have when it comes to the droughts that we face in our life. The reality is each and every one of us is going to face a drought and that drought can be external. That drought can be internal. There are going to be seasons of your life where it seems like nothing is going right on the outside. Things on a national or an international level, things at work, things at home, nothing can seem like it's going right and stress upon stress upon stress is piled onto your life. There are also times of our lives where it seems like nothing is going right on the inside either. We try to spend time in the Bible, but no new insight comes. Prayer seems like it's an exercise in futility. And if we're being honest, the last place we want to be on a Sunday morning is gathered with a bunch of other Christians. Jeremiah 17 makes it clear that there are only two different types of responses to these seasons of our life. When we face these hardships in our life, we are going to respond in one of two different ways. And our text this morning forces us to ask the question, when faced with hard times, when you're faced with the droughts of life, will you respond with faith in God or will you respond with faith in what your eyes can see? When you are faced with droughts, whether they are internal or external, and when you enter into these hardships, you're going to have a decision to make. As you enter into those times, where will you turn for refuge in those moments? Will you turn in, inside? Will you try to re rely solely on yourself or rely on those who are around you? Where will you turn for refuge in those moments? Or will you dig even deeper into the soils of God's word? Knowing that even though you can't taste it, even though you can't sense it, the fount of living water is near. More accurately, he is near. Will you respond with faith in God or faith in what your eyes can see? The text this morning paints two radically different pictures of, of what results from these paths. The first is this sickly, dying shrub wilting under the unrelenting heat of circumstances of drought of hardship. And the second is a lush, majestic fruit tree, a tree, a, tree, a tree whose circumstances are the exact same as this sickly shrub and yet endures through the hardship because of its connection to water. 
And so when you are faced with those hard times, will you respond with faith in God or with faith in what your eyes can see? This morning, let's consider those two different options. But before we do so, let's pray once more. Please pray with me. God, as, as we approach your word, we ask that you would be the one who comes and you would be the one who speaks to us. Lord, I, I know with so many people here this morning, I'm gathered, I'm sure that there are some people who find themselves in the midst of a drought. Some people find themselves in the midst of, of hardship. They find themselves barely hanging on by a thread. And so, God, I, I pray that through your word, you would encourage them this morning, that they would dig deep roots, that they would be unrelenting in their search for the living water. God, I pray that you would encourage each and every one of us, no matter what season of life we're in, to drink from those streams of living water. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we approach this text, it's important for us to understand Jeremiah's context as he writes these words. Jeremiah was a book that was written near the end of the Judean king kingdom. For generations, the people of Judah have increasingly turned their backs on God. They've increasingly perverted justice. They've started worshiping idols. They've neglected true worship of God. And God sends prophet after prophet after prophet to warn his people of the impending doom that is facing them because they have rejected him. Because these people have largely ignored God. And just as God has promised a new nation, this nation of Babylonians, it, it become, they, they ascend to power and they quickly become uh, this nation that starts conquering new territories surrounding Israel. And you would think that the people of Judah, as they're seeing this destruction out on the distance, as they're hearing God's warning, that they would respond with repentance. You would think that they would respond by turning back to God, but instead the people decide to, to dig down and, and, and in their resolute refusal to follow God, refusal to trust in God, and they instead send ambassadors to other nations and begin to say, hey, will you come and protect us from the Babylonians? We'll become a, a subservient nation to you as long as you can protect us from this doom that is out there in the distance. Consider the words of Jeremiah 16. And when you tell this people all these words and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods, and have served and worshipped them, and have forsaken me, have not kept my law, and because you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, every one of you follows his stubborn evil will, refusing to listen to me. Therefore, I will hurl you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor." As you can see from this text, Jeremiah's words here in Jeremiah 17, they're not just theoretical, they are real. The people of Israel facing destruction, they're facing uncertainty, they're facing judgment, and they have two options set before them. On the one hand, they can trust God. On the other hand, they can trust in man. And as history tells us, they chose to trust in what their eyes could see rather than the God who had saved them. So that's one, one side of the, the context here, but there's another side. On a, on a personal level, we notice that Jeremiah, as he writes these words, has just come out of a very spiritually dry season. Jeremiah has come out of a, out of a time where he's wondering where God is. He's wondering why God has, has seemingly abandoned him. 
In Jeremiah chapter 15, we see that Jeremiah actually is complaining to God about his experiences. And he writes this, says this, Oh Lord, you know. Remember me and visit me. Take vengeance for me on my persecutors and your forbearance take me not away. Know that, you're for, that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers nor did I rejoice. I sat alone and because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Here, Jeremiah, is he's describing his experience, and he's saying, hey, you know what, God, because of what you've called me to do, because of the, the message that you've given to me, I have been hated by those who surround me, and I have tried to cling to you. I've tried to spend time in your word. Those words actually at one time were a source of joy for me, but now, why is it that my pain is unceasing? Why is it that you seem to me like a deceitful brook, I'm searching for water to, to refresh me. And it seems like the water that you have given me has failed. These are not the words of someone who feels close to God. These are the words of a man who is at his wit's end with how life is going. And, and maybe you felt that same way. Jeremiah surely was tempted to, to throw in the towel, to turn elsewhere for, for help, to just give up on all of this. But God gives Jeremiah a promise. Just a, a verse later says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. You see, as we can see from this passage this morning, Jeremiah is issued this promise by God. He says, return to me. Trust in me. Don't go elsewhere for your trust, for your hope, and I will restore you. I will give you what you are looking for. And as we can tell from this text, Jeremiah does exactly that. Jeremiah listens to God, God's words. He, he repents. He returns to God. And he trusts in God, not in himself, not in those who are surrounding him. And as we read Jeremiah's words this morning... The good news is, wherever you may be, whatever season you may be, we can be assured that Jeremiah is speaking from experience. Jeremiah knows exactly what you are going through. He knows what it's like when the darkness will not lift. He knows what it's like when it feels like you are getting nowhere in your life. He knows what it's like to be filled with anxiety about the circumstances that are surrounding you. And Jeremiah's life is a testament that there will be a day when things get better. In fact, our text this morning reveals to us that this promise that God gives to Jeremiah in chapter 15, this promise that says, if you return to me, I will restore you. The good news from our text in Jeremiah 17 is the same thing is true for us as well. If we dig deep roots, then God will answer us. As David cries out in Psalm 16, it says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. God will not abandon his people. 
So let's consider the two paths that are set before each and every one of us and the implications of both. First, in verses 5 and 6, we see this first option, this option to trust in man, or, or as the text says, to trust in flesh. And, and more generally, it just means to trust in the things that your eyes can see for your ultimate hope. Here are these words from Jeremiah uh, 17, verses 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited land. Here's the first truth that our, our text teaches us is this. Trusting only in what your eyes can see, trusting only in what your eyes can see will leave you empty. It's going to leave you with nothing like grass or bushes that are wilting under the unending heat uh, without respite from the drought. This response to hardship, turning inward, turning to what your eyes can see, looking externally for help, will leave you with nothing. This text is a charge to not trust in your face. Or excuse me, to not trust in yourself, and it flies into every single thing that our culture teaches us today. Jeremiah's words here aren't just addressed to a nation that is facing destruction and they decide to enter into an unwise alliance. This is a, a text that is applicable for each and every one of us. It contrasts this with a singular trust in the, war, in the Lord in, a, in the following verses, and it condemns any other source of ultimate hope. Any other source of ultimate trust or peace? God is saying, if what you, what you find peace in ultimately at the end of the day, if what gives you peace at the end of the day is anything other than me, you are living a cursed life. It is a curse to find peace in the number in your bank account. It is, a key, it is a curse to find peace in political power or military might. It is a curse to find peace in leisure or entertainment or technology or economics or your family status or on and on and on. This text is clear in what this type of trust, a trust purely in the physical plane, results in. If your ultimate trust is placed in only what your eyes can see and not in God, then you are like a shrub in the desert. This word desert here in verse 6 uh, is literally the word Araba, and some of you may have translations that, that translate it as such. It was a part of, of, of Israel that was known for its desolation. It was a, technically a stretch from uh, the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the edge of the Red Sea, but it was primarily known for being this, this area of land south of the Dead Sea. And if you have access to the sermon notes, you'll, you'll notice a couple pictures there that just show the desolation of this land of how awful this land was for plants and how difficult it was for plants to grow in this plant. It's a barren land. It's difficult for anything to grow, let alone for things to flourish. And it's likely that Jeremiah's original audience, as he's writing this text, would have thought instantly of what he is saying. But it's not just the Araba that is formidable in this verse. God describes the one who trusts in anyone but him as a sickly shrub. As a, as a shrub that can be destroyed by heat. He's referring to a tamarisk shrub, a, a shrub that's lit, utterly dependent upon its circumstances for its health. As a shallow root system that doesn't penetrate to deeper levels of the soil where it can gather water. And so if there's an extended stretch of drought, if the weather is unkind to it, then it's going to shrivel up 
and die. Now just pause and consider the lens that Jeremiah 17 gives us as we look at life. If you place your ultimate trust in anything besides God, anyone besides God, you may make it through good times. Truth be told, these types of shrubs are quite beautiful when they are adequately watered, when they are well taken care of. But when there is drought and when there is hardship, this type of life is left with absolutely nothing. Here, God is reminding Judah through Jeremiah. He's reminding us today of the danger it is to place our ultimate hope, our ultimate trust in any other place except for him. If our trust is solely in what our eyes can see, if we only have this shallow root system, if we aren't connected to the fount of living water, then there will only be impoverished days ahead of us when we face adversity. So that's the first truth that this text tells us. It's a somber warning for us that when we face hard times, we should not turn to ourselves, we should not turn to others to get us through. But it's not just a stern warning, it's also an incredible life-giving promise as we find in the second truth from this text is this, trusting in God will give you the peace your soul longs for. Trusting in God will give you the peace your soul longs for. If your ultimate trust, if your ultimate hope are not found in what your eyes can see, but are instead found in God himself then you will find the peace that you so desperately long for. Notice the promises of verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Notice what the text says. The text says, if, if you trust in the Lord, you will be blessed. You will live a life of abundance no matter what the circumstances around you may be. But that doesn't mean that we will automatically ex uh, know what it's like for us to be blessed. This text describes what it's like for us to trust in the Lord in the midst of difficulties. Uh, two different ways. First is this, verse 7. Some translations here distinguish between the first and the second half of this verse, and they say something like this. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in the Lord. So when we are wondering what does it mean for us to actually trust in God in the midst of hardship, I, I think this is a good place to start. To understand, it means to have confidence in Him. The book of Hebrews is crucial for this understanding of trust, of faith, of confidence. When the experiences of our lives, the hardships, the droughts that we face, whether they're external or internal, when those experiences don't line up with what God has actually promised for us in his word, how do we balance the difference? And that's where Hebrews is so important. Consider these words from Hebrews. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Here, 
the author dives into this definition of faith. And then he goes on to an in-depth look at different men and women of the Old Testament and how, as they followed God by faith, as they followed God because of these promises that God had given to them, yet they never actually fully realized those promises in their lives. It says this in Hebrews 11. Rather than leading to despair, it led to this great confidence. Consider this, 11, uh, 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Just a few verses later, at the end of chapter 11, he continues, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What does Hebrews teach us about trusting in God alone? Well, it means that we should have a confidence in God's goodness, that even when our experiences don't line up with it, we can have a confidence in God's goodness that he is going to deliver on his promises. Even when the life right now that we are living is a drought, when it doesn't seem to be blessed, we can have confidence that God is at work. That's what Jeremiah means when he tells us to have this confidence in God. Second, notice the description of this tree beginning in 17.8. The very first half of this verse, it says this, He is like a tree planted by water, and then notice this phrase, that sends out its roots by the stream. If we are trying to understand what does it mean to trust the Lord, trust in God in the midst of hardship, then we can look here and see what it actually means for us. The blessed tree that trusts in the Lord is not passive. It is not passive. It is actively sending out its roots. This is a far contrast from the shallow roots of the shrub that we described earlier. This is a blessed tree that has active roots that keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper, searching, unrelenting in their quest to find living water. The blessed tree, the one that trusts in God in the midst of drought, knows that there is living water out there. Even when it can't taste it, even when it can't feel it, it knows that the living water is close. And so it is relentless in its search, digging through the depths of the soil of God's word to drink in the deep, deep living water. It takes seriously Paul's call in, in Colossians chapter 2. It says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ, Christ the Lord by faith. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The blessed one, this blessed tree, is one that recognizes that the Christian life is an active pursuit. It is walking, it is pursuing God, and it is established in the roots of faith. It knows that Jesus is our living water, that Jesus is the one who satisfies our souls, even as he says in the Gospel of John. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What is it that results from such a lifelong pursuit? 
What is the result of having this trust, having this confidence in God, pursuing God, even in the midst of hardship and drought and trial? Verse 8 gives us four different attributes. First, we see that this tree is ruled by peace and not fear. When our confidence is rooted in God, then no matter the circumstances, fear does not rule our lives. If you are someone who struggles with fear, the best way for you to overcome that fear is to pursue God, is to dig deep roots and get connected to the living water. Second, peace, not anxiety. Peace, not anxiety. In the same way, when our confidence is rooted in God, no matter what life throws our way, we are not consumed with a paralyzing anxiety about the things we cannot control, but instead we trust in the one who can and does control all things and is good to us. So peace, not fear. Peace, not anxiety. Third is this, abundant life no matter the season. Abundant life no matter the season. Jeremiah paints this beautiful, powerful picture of a lush green tree in the midst of a drought. Such a tree does not depend on fickle circumstances surrounding it for its contentment, but instead it depends on something that cannot be touched by drought. That is the living water. It will not be touched even in the most difficult of times that we experience. And the fourth attribute that we see from verse 8 is this, faithfulness and bearing fruit. Faithfulness and bearing fruit. One of the clearest marks of a life that is drinking deep of the living waters, even in the midst of hardship, is that it continues to bear fruit. It continues to be a blessing to those around it, even in hardship. It continues to glorify God, even in drought. It is faithful. It is consistent in every season. This is why one pastor uh, writes these words. The lesson is this. God always aims to glorify himself in one or both of these ways in our experience of adversity. God always aims to wean us away from our lying or trusting or hoping in any help but in him alone. Adversity by its very nature is the removal of things from our comfort and hope that we have rested on. And so it will either result in anger toward God or greater reliance upon him for our peace. And his purpose for us in adversity is not that we get angry. It's not that we get discouraged. It's not that we pursue other things, but that our hope is shifted from the things that we can see and is focused on God alone. God's purpose for giving us droughts is to make us stop trusting in anything but him. And so as we close, ask yourself, when I am faced with hard times, will I respond with faith in God or faith in what my eyes can see? Will I respond with faith in God or faith in what my eyes can see? As we gather together as a, a church in multiple locations, we're reminded of the importance of surrounding ourselves with brothers and sisters who have the same singular pursuit, who have this same desire to dig deep, to drink of the living water. It is not wrong to depend upon one another as we pursue Christ together. 
And as we gather together this morning, that's a, that's a powerful reminder to us. That we see so many different people that, that live near us, that we see on a weekly basis at church, that, that are our neighbors. And then we also see people that we've never met before, and yet they're gathering together faithfully, consistently, worshiping God at a different location. And it is a reminder to us of the beauty of the body of Christ as we try to weather the storms by pursuing God together, by encouraging God together. And so this morning, let us renew our commitment, a commitment to one another, yes, but more importantly, a commitment to God, that we are going to dig deep roots that will weather even the severest of droughts. Remember the words of Revelation chapter 22. At the very end of the book of Revelation 22, there's this invitation that is given to us. It says this, the spirit and the bride say, come, and all those who hear say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires the water of life without price. As we gather together this morning, if you find yourself parched, thirsty, worn out from the drought, worn out from trying to do this on your own, then come. Drink from the water of life without price. Come to the founts of living water. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather together, we confess our great need for you and also our, our desire to pursue you, a longing to seek your face, and yet so often it is difficult. It is so much easier to place our hope and our trust in the things that our eyes can see rather than to live by faith and not by sight. So God, give us eyes to see, to remember the words of this text, to remember the cursing of this text and the blessing of this text and what it means for us to pursue you even in the midst of hardship. God, we thank you for surrounding us with like-minded believers to encourage one another in the pursuit of God in every season. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.